saying, uh, nothing is wasted. As your pastor and as a friend to many of you, listen, I know life happens. And I know that some of you are right in the thick of it. Sometimes I just want to pull you out. I want to pull you out of that situation. I want to do everything in my power to help you, to pull you out of that situation. I, want, I pray and ask God, Lord, I, they're struggling. They need help with this situation. They're going through this. They, or what can you do? And that song, Nothing is Wasted. God has you where he has you for a purpose. And then listen, I, I know that, that that might sound cheap. That might sound, that might sound like, well, why does it have to be that way? I know two things. He does it for his glory so that you might point back and say he is good. But he also does it for your good. Romans 8.28, we have to claim that over our lives. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It works for your good. Nothing is wasted. He's using it in your life to make you more like Christ. And so in those moments, my prayer is that you don't try and run out of it. My prayer is that you don't try and and scream at God, just like we talked about two weeks ago in, in James chapter 1, where we run, we don't try to hide from it, but that you, through the strength that God gives you, you ask Him, God, what in me are you trying to change? What in me are you trying to transform to make look more like your son Jesus? And so some of you are there right now. So I just wanted to take just a second. Let's just, with every head bowed and Every eye closed. Let's just take some time and, and pray. And some of you are in the midst of a storm right now. Some of you are in the midst of a trial. And maybe that's you. You just need to get real with the Lord right now. And maybe that's not you. Maybe things are going well. I ask that you pray for the men and women that are surrounded by you. Let's just take a few seconds and do that. God, this morning we thank you for your grace. It is a means of grace for us to be here this morning to worship God Almighty. Just by us being here means that you are drawing us towards you, that you are at work, that you are pursuing us, God. And I pray this morning, Lord, that just as we looked at through James 1, Lord, that we would consider it joy when we experience trials. Because we know that it produces steadfastness. And Lord, right now it might look like a mess. It might be jumbled up and, and, and we're just handing you a mess for one day. As we stand before you, this will all just be a distant memory. And the only thing that will be remaining, the only thing 
that will still be there with us in heaven are those places and those areas where you transformed us. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James. That's where we've been over the last several weeks. We're going to camp out in the book of James. And uh, man, I don't know about you, but James has really been doing a number on me. Kind of kicking my teeth in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, man, you know, just say it. Like, don't spray it, James. Let me know how you feel. Turn to James chapter 2. If you got it, say, I got it. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our Connect table. That is yours to have. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him, but you have dishonored the poor man Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you out into court? Are they not the one who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's the best seat you've ever had? The best seat, like concert, going to see a comedian, at a football game, at a baseball game, what's the best seat you've ever had in your entire life? Whenever I think about that, for me, my mind goes instantly to the time whenever I was about eight or nine years old, and my dad took me to see wrestling, professional wrestling, took me to see some, at the time, some good old WWF. Now, If you think I'm immature for liking that, well, guess what? That's on you for being immature. That's not on me. I've always been a lifelong fan, and maybe your heart just isn't right with the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about that fake stuff. I'm talking about the real deal, you know, with the four posts. Like, not the stuff that you see at high school where they, you know, they call it a sport and they put on the headgear. I'm talking about the real thing where you've got champions and you've got big guys. I think about the best seat of my life, like my dad took me to, to he took me to several times to see some, some WWF, WWE, and I, I still go even to this day. Like I, I, hope that's, I hope that doesn't cause anything between us. And this particular time, he got seats down on the floor, down on the floor next to the rail, 
And like, I'm telling you, like these guys were huge just walking down the aisle and I'm standing right there on the floor. I'm like able to put my hand out and like touch guys and they were really sweaty and it was kind of nasty. It was kind of gross. But that was awesome. Like that was the best seat of my entire life. You got one of those? What's your best seat? Like what's the best seat you've ever had? Whenever I think about the worst seat I've ever had, one time I, I, I boarded a flight to Zimbabwe, 18-hour flight, and as I sit down in the very back of the plane, the guy I'm sitting next to, as, as we're like getting ready to take off, like I look over at what he's doing, and I notice that he's starting to untie his shoes. And he unties his shoes, not, a, not like to get comfy, but he takes his entire shoe off. It gets worse. After he takes his shoe off, he proceeds to take his socks off as I'm sitting right next to him for an 18-hour flight, worst seat I've ever had. What if, what if I'm sitting at this sporting event and I've got my seat, I'm there, I'm having fun, I'm enjoying, I'm having the time of my life. Like what if, just, just picture this, imagine this, that one of the workers comes up to me, like taps me on the shoulder and says, hey buddy, you can't sit here because your dad doesn't make enough money. Hey, you can't sit here because you're not the right color. Come with me. Follow me. We've found your seats. They're up here in the nosebleeds. Follow me, sir. Like, what if that had happened? What if they had said that? What if they judged where you get to sit based on how much you make, how much money you have in the bank? Like, that would be terrible, right? To go with me a step further, what if we did that here? What if we did that inside the church, where those who make the least amount of money have to sit in the back, and those who, have to, those who make the most money sit up front? Like, what would you say about that? We wouldn't be here, right? Like, I, I would be in the back. Like, I, I would be back there. Like, it would be the worst, right? But if I said that, if, if we made that rule and we said, hey, those of you who make the most money, you sit up front. Those of you who make the least amount of money, you sit in the back. There would be outrage. Like there would be news here. Like we would probably have to shut down. It would be the worst. Like it would be the worst thing ever. If we were to kind of show partiality that way and, and, and we were kind of to divide the room, right? If that's what happens. When you, when you make distinctions like that, you immediately divide the room. And that's what was happening in the early church. That's exactly what was happening in the early church. Now, we often look at the early church, like if you've been in church any amount of time, we always look back at the early church and we're like, man, you know what the early church was doing? They was doing this, 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 and this. If we could just get back doing what they were doing, they were knocking it out of the park. Well, here, they're failing. And they're kind of failing really bad. Like on a high level, they are failing because what they're doing is they're deciding who gets to sit where based on how much money they make. Who, who, makes, the, who makes the most? You sit right here in this place of honor. You, you, you're sitting right next to me. Don't make any money, guess what? You're sitting on the floor, which at this time and in this culture is the worst possible thing you could do because where our feet go, where they're dirty and they're nasty. And they say, sit down on the floor at my feet or sit in the back of the room. And we actually see this play out in the life of the church for hundreds of years where, where maybe it wasn't so much about, uh, about how much you make. It wasn't about wealth, but we see it turn into color. 
There are places in downtown Charleston you could go today, churches where you could go today, where you see this big balcony. And it was basically whoever made the most, whoever paid the most, you get to sit down on the floor. And if you don't pay anything, we've got this nice balcony. If you're not white, we've got this nice balcony for you. This is a place where the church has oftentimes really struggled with. This is a place where the church has, has, has at times failed at. But if you stay with me this morning, I, I, I want to show you that this is not something that just the early church did. This is something that you and I do every day. This is something that you and I still struggle with. This is not a them problem. This is a problem with us. This is something that we do because the issue is not about where you sit. The issue is about showing partiality. At times, we've all given preferential treatment in the real world. And at times, we've given preferential treatment in the church. So let's look back at that James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you, you pay attention to the one that's rich, you, you look at him and you say, you're the best, man. You're, you're awesome. You have all these nice clothing. I like that Rolex, by the way. Where did you get those jeans? Sit right here, man. Sit right here. You're in the place of honor. And that poor man comes walking in, and you're like, hmm, somebody's been shopping at Goodwill. You're in the back. Sit in the back. That's exactly what they were doing. And what they're doing is they have divided the room, the body of Christ. They've divided the room in half because they're putting a lot of, ten- a, a lot of attention on r- the rich people, and they're looking down their nose at the poor. Now, let's play a, a little bit of trivia here. Let's, play, let's have a little bit of a pop quiz, okay? James was the brother of who? James was the brother of Jesus, and whose parents were, were James? Who, who's, whose parents were, were James? Like Joseph and Mary, right? And what do we believe that Jesus did? Jesus was a carpenter, right? Was Jesus rich or was Jesus poor? Jesus wasn't rich. Jesus was poor. It says the foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Jesus wasn't rich. Jesus was poor. Now, let me ask you this. Where would Jesus have had to sit? Jesus would have had to sit on the floor. They would have looked down their nose at Jesus Christ as he walked in the church. The man who bought the church with his blood they would have looked at him and said, you, sir, get to the back. That's what they were doing to poor people. They were looking at them and saying, you can't sit here. And, and really what we're looking at is, is, is that they're, showing preferen- they're giving preferential treatment to a lot of different people, and they're saying, they're saying you, you sit here because of your place and honor, and you sit here because of, because of, of being poor and not realizing that one of the very people that they would have done this to was Jesus Christ. And so what does James say to them? He says in verse 5, he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, he says, Do not show partiality. Do not show partiality. There is no room for preferential treatment. He says there's no room for showing partiality. 
And you see what James is helping this church do, what he's helping the early church do, is he's reshaping their worldview. He's reshaping the way that they see the world and the way that they think and the way that they even see the church. You've got to understand that this is one of the very first churches that ever existed. One of the very first churches that ever existed in the entire world. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to operate? How are we going to do this? What is the structure? What is the hierarchy of the church? How are we going to operate? What is our manner of operation? And one of the very first things that they start doing is they start modeling the church after what they see take place in the world. Well, in the world, who's valued, the rich or the poor? The rich. The poor aren't valued. They have no time for the poor. And so whenever they start constructing this church, and as they start building this church up from the ground, one of the very first things that they do is they start operating in the church what they see happen take place out in the world. Well, outside in the world where I go to work and as I shop at the grocery store, they value the rich. So whenever we get together in the church, guess who's going to be valued? It's going to be the rich and not the poor. James says, no, absolutely not. He says, you must not show partiality. Verse 1, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith. You have then made distinctions among yourselves and you've become judges with evil thoughts. He's kind of busting this, this paradigm, if you will. He's, he's wrecking their worldview. You see, in chapter 1, the book of James, the very first week we talked about this. We talked about trials, right? And what happens whenever we experience trials? We run. We curse God. We cower back in fear. James says, absolutely not. You can't do that. You are bought with the blood of Jesus. This is how you are to live. You're to be out there. Consider it joy, my brothers. And the same exact thing happens in chapter 2. As they're brought in, they say, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to live. James comes in and just wrecks them and says, absolutely not. That is not how we're going to do this. So James is, a, James is just a book like that. Every way that you and I would operate, every way that the early church would have operated, that human beings in our flesh, that we want to we drift towards this way, we want to do it this way, James says, absolutely not. This is the way now that we are to live because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, this is how we are to do it. He says, listen, verse 5, my beloved brothers, has... God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised with those who love him. You know, whenever I think about that, as we think about those who might not be well off and those who might not have the most means, our world and, and sometimes even the church, they look down on people like that. But what James says about him, he says that the poor are the ones who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. You think about that. You think about as Jesus has given his Sermon on the Mount, given the Beatitudes, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, poor people, we might look down on them. Those who 
might not have well, might not be well off. We look down on, we look down on them at our nose, and this has happened since the beginning of time. James says, and Jesus says, and God says, says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have riches that you don't know about. They have riches, they just don't have them yet. They have riches, it's just in the kingdom of heaven. And one day they will be adorned and the best, better than we've ever known here on this earth. You know, whenever I think about that verse, verse 5, he says, blessed are the, the poor in the spirit, for they are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. I think back to the very first church that I grew up in, I think about this sweet old lady named Miss Darlene. Miss Darlene was at church every single week. She was there for choir practice. She was there cleaning the church. She was there on Sunday morning. She was there on Wednesday night. She was teaching Bible study to kids. She had her hands in everything. Well, Miss Darlene was a widow. She wasn't well off. She would walk to church sometimes. She didn't have a whole lot of money. But whenever I think about her and I think about the reputation that she had, you just knew, man, she seemed a lot closer to God than just about anybody else in the church. Because whenever you're in that state, whenever you don't have a lot, guess what it forces you to do? It forces you to depend on God. You see, the rich, what need do they have for God? Those who might be well off, what need do we have for Jesus? I don't need this. I don't need to spend time on my knees in in prayer. I don't need to ask God for anything. I've got it all. Jesus says, James says, God says, no, no, no. It's the poor who have the kingdom of heaven because it's those who are depending on God. Those who are the ones who are spending the most amount of time with God. Blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says they are heirs of heaven. The kingdom. Verse 6, he says, But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? You see, the poor, they were taken advantage by, by the rich. They would take advantage of the poor people all the time and they would bring accusations against them out in public. And then they'd come to church together and act like everything was cool. They would look down their noses at them, trying to bring them into the courthouses, trying to bring accusations against them, and then would come to church together and act like it never happened. Despicable. And they were just rolling along with it. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. How does James say that we are to fix the problem? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. How are we doing with that? Oof. Take it easy on us, James. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Old Testament law here, all of the Old Testament is, is filled with laws and It's filled with rules and regulations. And whenever Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he says two very he he says two things that that separate us from anything that we see in the Old Testament. He says all the Old Testament law, it can be served up in two ways. Love God and love people. 
Love God and love people. When you see the church here that James is talking to, the people that are in dispersion, the, the, the ones that he's writing this letter to, they're doing one thing pretty well. They're loving God very well. Like they're in church and, and, and they're considering it all joy whenever they're facing persecution. But they're showing preferential treatment. And by doing so, they are not loving their neighbors well. And so James says to them, he says, Brothers, love your neighbors as yourselves. And if you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But you see, loving your neighbor well, loving your neighbor as yourself, doesn't mean that you look back at the poor in the back of the room and say, oh man, that stinks. I hate they're treating them like that. I hate this is going on. That's not right. You see, if we really love our neighbor as ourself, we look back at the poor and we walk back with them. We pick them up off the ground and say, come sit with me. Come sit with me. Come sit here in this place of honor. You see, so many times we have people like that in our lives, right? We know they're outcasts. We know they're looked down on. We know that in this world they are the last picked. Like they're, they're not at the top of the list of anybody's Anybody's favorites, anybody's all-star team. James says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't mean that we look back and just say, oh man, I'm so sorry about that. I hate that. It's just a shame. Loving your neighbor as yourself means that you treat them the way that you would have yourself treated if you were in that situation. That means you pick them up off the ground. Come sit with me. Come sit where I am. See, the Old Testament law, love God and love people, they were doing one well. They were loving God, but they were not loving your neighbor. And, and, and sometimes I, I think we get that mixed up. We think we can choose one or the other. We think that we can love our neighbor, but God cares for our neighbor. And if we are not showing love, and if we are showing partiality, then we don't have the same heart that God has. If we're showing preferential treatment towards one or the other, we're not having the heart of God. And essentially, we're not really loving God well if we're not loving our neighbors well. And so he goes on a little bit. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. If you can just do that, man, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. What he's saying here is this is serious. And I want you to see, like this, I want you to see the seriousness of this. Listen, there are those who, who might be committing murder, that there are those who, who might be committing adultery, and you might look at that as a, as a grave sin, but guess what? If you commit this sin of showing partiality, then you're just as guilty. And you've broken the same law that those who have broken this grave sin have broken. Because why? Because it's a matter of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. 
And those people that you have in your life that you put blinders on, that you just don't want to look at, that you just don't want to associate with, don't want to have anything to do with, guess what? It's a matter of your heart. You're not loving your neighbor well. You're not loving God well. And what he's saying is that you're guilty. 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 It's just as if you had committed one of these grave sins. You're just as guilty. You see, a lot of times we, we like to pick and choose, and we have these respectable sins. Well, I haven't committed murder. Well, I haven't committed adultery. I've been faithful to my wife. But having these places in your heart where you genuinely don't like people groups, where you genuinely don't like people or care for people just based on the way that they look, based on the way that they think, and he says you're still as guilty as someone who may have committed murder, who may have committed adultery. You're not off the hook. You are not off the hook there. It says, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over, over judgment. Now maybe you're sitting here thinking this morning, well, this just doesn't apply to me doesn't apply to me. Like, I, I don't really do that. Like, I, don't, I don't look down on the poor. I, I give to the poor. You know, I, I help people out. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe it's just your personality wiring. You're like, I, I know what it's like to be treated that way, so I never try to beat anybody. I, I never try to treat anybody bad. I, I try to treat everybody good. Some of you here this morning, like, I treat everybody the same. I treat them equally bad. Some of you are like, you know what? Like, I just keep my head down. I keep focused on what I have to do. I don't even talk to people. I don't even look at people. And some of you are like, I, I'm just friends with everybody, man. I'm friends with everybody. But listen, we've all committed this. Listen, I, I want to show you, we've all committed the sin of partiality. Whether it's rich or poor, whether it's white or non-white, whether it's male, whether it's female, whether it's Republican, whether it's Democrat, whether it's conservative or liberal, whether it's somebody who is covered head to toe in tattoos, got earrings all over and blue hair. We've all committed this sin of partiality. And James says, Jesus says, God says we are guilty. And that we have issues within our heart that are dividing us. In this room and in this life that we've put up barriers to people coming to know the good news of Jesus. Just imagine the poor here. Can you imagine being one of the poor people in this city, going into this church and, and being treated that way? Can you imagine the first thought that you would have had? Guess what? I'm never going back to that church again. Never. You won't catch me there. You won't catch me going there. They put me on the floor, buddy. They treated me so cruelly. Who is that in your life? Who are you doing that to? Here. Are we doing that here? If somebody walks in and maybe they're not white, do we treat them like guests of honor? Hey, come sit with me. Maybe they walk in those doors and it maybe, maybe it doesn't look like they have everything put together and, and they might be covered in all the tattoos. Like, what do we do with that? I'll tell you what they do. They probably walk right in, 
through the back, find a spot over in this far section where they can be left alone. And that's probably exactly what happens. Do we speak to them? Do we go after them? Do we per- pursue them? Or do we have these blinders in our eyes and blinders in our hearts where it's just like, man, I'm cool. I don't want us to be the church here in James, but it takes some real intentionality. It takes being intentional. And so what was happening, as they probably wrote this letter, they're probably looking at it and they're probably saying, guess what, man, we've treated the poor bad. You know what the solution to the problem is? Human nature says, okay, we've been putting the rich at the front. Well, maybe we just need to send the poor to the front and send the rich to the back. Guess what? That's not the solution to the problem. In our churches, the solution is not to send all the women to the front, send the men to the back. We've been doing this for years. Like, we got to recorrect. we got to readjust. The women haven't been valued. We need to send all the women to the front, send the men to the back. Guess what? That's not the solution. We've been treating all, all the whites great. We need to send them to the back. We need to send everybody else that's non-white, send them to the front. I'm feminist. I love women. Let's send all the women to the front. Guess what? That's not a solution to the problem. Let's send all the rich people to the, to the back. Let's send all the poor people to the front. Guess what? It's not a solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is treating everybody the same. The solution to the problem is valuing everybody we see equally. Female, male, black, white, Hispanic. Treating them all the same. And our churches today are failing at this. We, myself, I'm failing at this. I'm guilty of this. In these situations, who's, who's right? Who's wrong? We haven't valued them that much. We need to send them to the front. We need to value them more, put them in a place of honor. Guess what? That's not what James says. James says, treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. And in valuing one person, in valuing one type, one people group, You're always leaving one or another out. James says, you know who's wrong? You know who's guilty? You know who's been treated unfairly? You know who's wrong? You know who's guilty? All of us. Male, female, haves, haves haves-nots, conservatives, liberals, we're all the same and we're all in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And the church is a place where we all come under one roof, where we're all equally valued, where we're all equally sinners, we're all equally covered by grace. This is the church, and this is the good news of the gospel, that at one time, all of us, every color, every gender, every ideology, At one time, all of us stood separated from God without access to good news. We were judged. We were under some serious and heavy judgment. And if it weren't for Jesus Christ coming into this world to save sinners as he died on the cross, giving us access to God, none of this would be possible. This is the good news. And now, and now, because of Christ, because of His work on the cross, we're now brought in and we're one family, one body. 1 Corinthians 12, I'll, I'll read just a little bit of that to you again. 
He says, For just as the body is one and has heard many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We are one body. The capital C church is one body. And you are just a member. And so he goes on to say, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He says, we're family. We're all one body. You know what I love about family? I don't know about you and what you do at your house. But in my house, family eats together. Family eats together. Family laughs together. Family reflects together. There's no partiality. We do life together. We enjoy one another's company. And here this morning, we're going to do that very thing. We're going to partake of a, of a meal together. And the Bible is very clear about how we are to partake of this meal. Say, say with me for just a second. The Bible is very clear about how we are to partake of this. And he says, don't come to this table unworthily. Don't come and, and drink the blood unworthily. Don't come and eat the bread unworthily. He says, before you do anything, I want you to sit there and confess your sin. The weight that's on your heart, those issues that you've been dealing with, some of you have vices, some of you have struggles that is just kicking your tail right now, and you need forgiveness. You need to repent, and maybe you need somebody in this room to hold you accountable. It says to get that right before God. So we're going to take a meal together, but before we do, I just want to say, just sit there for just a few minutes. Confess sin in your life. Ask for forgiveness, and you'll find it. But as we take of the juice and as we take of the bread, it's not just food. This is not a snack to hold you over. This is real. As we drink of the juice, we're remembering the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. And as we take of the bread, we're remembering His body that was broken, that was ripped open, that was crushed for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, let's not do this lightly. And he says, you take of it, you reflect, and you remember. And then after he, says you, after he says you confess, after he says that you remember, he says that we worship together. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, the band's going to come forward. We're going to give you a minute just to sit there in your seat quietly to reflect on any sin that you might have, to, to rid that, to make plans of repentance, to get that out of your life. And then we ask that you would come, and as you come, that you sit back in your seat, that you take the juice, that you take the bread, that you remember this sacrifice that was given for the rich, this sacrifice that was given for the poor, the sacrifice that was given for white people, the sacrifice that was given for non-white people, the sacrifice that was given for men, the sacrifice that was given for women, for liberal, for Republican, for conservative, whatever it is. So he brought us all together and he says, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. If you're here this morning and you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to caution you. I want to warn you that we're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is heavy. This is not something that we do lightly. And I would advise you that if you don't have an active relationship with Jesus Christ, 
If there's never been a time where you've put your faith, your hope, and your trust and said, I follow Jesus. And I would caution you not to take it. Like, there's not going to be police here saying, okay, you know, I know for a fact. You that is not going to happen. Like, I promise. But if you know in your own heart that you've never believed in Jesus and you've never given your life to Him, then we just ask that you not take of this. You can still come. You can still be a part of the family. Like, we still love you. But what we want to happen is we want you to start a relationship with Jesus today. That's the most important thing that you can do. And then, and after that, after that, then we can take of this in remembrance. I'm going to be at the back of the room this morning. If you'd like to come and pray and talk, I'll be there for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for changing us. Lord, and sometimes changing us and sometimes Lord, conforming us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, is not easy. It's, it's heavy because there's areas of our life where we've had our entire lives. Maybe we've treated a people group wrong just because we didn't grow up like they did. Maybe we've looked down on our nose at, at somebody because of something that happened in our past and we've just carried this prejudice with us for a long time. James says, Jesus says, God says, it's wicked. And that there's no place for it within the body of Christ. That there's no place for it in the life of a Christian. And I can't answer those places. I I don't know, Lord. I don't know where all of us face that. I don't know where all of us are struggling with that. I know personally in me And I confess that to you as sin right now. Help me to repent, to love my neighbor as myself. Lord, may we find forgiveness here this morning and pray the gospel over ourselves. We ask this in Jesus' name.